We read God's word this morning in James chapter 3. James 3, our text will be verses 17 and 18. We'll read that first and then go back and read the chapter. James 3, 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. We now read the chapter in its entirety. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word... The same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
Thus far we read the holy and inerrant word of God. He blessed the reading of his word upon our hearts. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the application of this text, verses 17 and 18 of James chapter 3, could be made to many different people in the church. Indeed, it could be made to every person in the church. We all need instruction about this wisdom wisdom that is not naturally found upon this earth, but a wisdom that comes from above. Recognizing that this text could well be applied to the circumstances of every person upon this earth, we are not going this morning to attempt to apply it to every circumstance. But this morning we are going to preach and consider this text from the perspective of a mother. This being the day that the world has set aside to recognize the place and duties and, and gifts that a mother has, we who are members of the church do not disregard this day, but we see in God's word that the scriptures speak highly of the mother. And so on this Mother's Day, we are going to look then at a mother's wisdom from above, considering this text, especially as it applies to the mother, a mother's wisdom from above. We see first that <clears throat> it is pure, and then peaceful, and then third, fruitful. Pure, peaceful, fruitful. What is this wisdom that the text speaks of? It says that wisdom that is from above is first pure. The, the word here for wisdom is the word Sophia. Sophia. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to the light of the child of God upon this earth. Wisdom is not unrelated to knowledge and understanding. There is a close connection between wisdom and understanding. Oftentimes it is in the way of growing in understanding that one is able to increase in wisdom. But recognizing that there is a close relationship between knowledge and wisdom does not mean that those two are equal or synonymous one with another. It could be that there is an individual who has a head full of knowledge, not just a head full of knowledge with regard to things secular, but he could have a head full of knowledge with regard to things spiritual. He could speak at length of truths and doctrines, yea, even deep doctrines found in the Word of God, and yet be an individual who is devoid of wisdom. Because wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to the particular circumstances of life. 
Another way that we could describe wisdom is this. Wisdom is doing the best possible thing in the best possible way for the highest possible goal. Wisdom. Doing the best thing in the best way for the highest possible goal. Now this text teaches that there are two different types of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom and then there is a wisdom that comes from above. Verses 14 through 16 speak of this this earthly wisdom. We read now verse 15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. But verse 17 contrasts that then, but the wisdom that is from above. There's a wisdom that comes from on high, yea, it has its source in heaven, and comes from heaven and descends down to this earth. But then there also is a certain wisdom that according to verse 15 is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And so it requires then a certain level of discernment to be able to recognize the difference between what is a wisdom that comes from above and what is a wisdom that is of this earth and is sensual and devilish. And the devil would have it so that God's people are not able to discern the difference between the two. But to break down that distinction and consider that any type of advice that is given unto me, as long as that advice sounds good to me, and as long as that advice applies to my life, and perhaps that advice could even be beneficial in my life, well then that must be wisdom that comes from above. That must be heavenly wisdom because this type of wisdom benefits me. An example. I'm struggling in the relationship with my neighbor. And so I go to a third party, a mediator, and the, that mediator asks, well, what, what did the neighbor do to you? And you list out all of the hurts that the neighbor did to you. And then that mediator, that counselor says, wow, you've been through all that and yet you still want to be reconciled with the neighbor even though that neighbor has hurt you so much. Just cast that person out of your life. Move on. It's time for you to let go of, of that individual. Don't, don't worry about reconciliation in that relationship. Well, that sounds like wisdom. But that's not wisdom from above. That's earthly wisdom. Verse 14, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. For this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. The wisdom that comes from above is a wisdom that requires of us oftentimes to do the more difficult thing. 
But there's an easy path in front of us and a more difficult path in front of us. Heavenly wisdom oftentimes requires that we walk that more difficult pathway. Heavenly wisdom, it's picking up one's cross, emptying oneself of pride, of self-glory, of self-honor, and seeking the highest possible good, the glory of God. And who needs this type of wisdom? Mothers. Mothers need this wisdom that comes from above. And our minds might not, first of all, go to that thought. We might, first of all, think of public leaders who, who need wisdom. I would that politicians, I would that governors, I would that the president had more wisdom. We might think of leaders in the church. I would that the pastor had more wisdom. I would that the elders had more wisdom as they rule over that church. We can think of others who need wisdom, but do we think of the need that mothers have for wisdom? How great is the need that the church has for wise mothers. Mothers need wisdom as they give specific advice and instruction unto their children, especially as children come to years of discretion and come to mom with these specific and pointed questions. Mom, may I date this individual? Mom, may I pursue this type of job? Mom, may I enroll in this school so that I can get this job that I want? How the mother needs wisdom to be able to respond to those specific questions that the children bring unto mom, seeking the experience that mom has in life. But it's not just that the mother needs wisdom for those specific questions that come to her. In fact, I do not even believe that that is the primary application of this text. But primarily what James 3, verse 17 is speaking about is wisdom to handle the countless, the hundreds, if not thousands, of little decisions that must be made throughout the course of a day. And that's what this text is leading us unto when it says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This text is not so much emphasizing wisdom to handle those tricky, specific, difficult questions that come unto us, though there is that need for wisdom. But this text, in speaking about living a life of mercy, about being gentle and peaceable and easy to be entreated, is speaking about having wisdom in the thousands of decisions that an individual must make throughout the course 
of a day. How is mom going to respond to the trials, the difficulties that come throughout the course of a day when that child, as it were, wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and that child is ornery and that child cries and it seems that there is nothing that mom can do to solace the child. How will mom respond? When the child throws a temper tantrum, when the child gets angry, when the child spills the milk and it gets all over the kitchen table and gets on the nice rug, how does mom respond? Wisdom. Oh, how the covenant mother needs wisdom. See, if the covenant mother doesn't have wisdom, she'll become angry. And the text speaks of that, rather the context speaks of that in verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Because of the countless difficulties and hurdles and heartaches that a mother bears up under. If she has not this wisdom from above, then she will have the world's wisdom. And the world's wisdom, earthly and sensual, is it's okay to be bitter. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to turn to the bottle of wine to get you through the day. Mothers need this wisdom. The first thing that the text says of this wisdom is it's pure. It's a pure wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, clean. That's the idea of purity. It's clean in all respects. There's nothing dirty about this wisdom. How much of a mother's day is not spent cleaning? Cleaning the home, cleaning the children, cleaning the laundry. And yet this text speaks not of physical cleanliness, but of a spiritual cleanliness. It's a spiritual purity and holiness within the mother's heart. Purity. Purity has the idea of being devoted unto someone, devoted unto someone so holy and so entirely that there are no thoughts and no desires away from and contrary to the will of that one to whom I am devoted. Purity. Having a pure wisdom means that one is filled with such a love and such a devotion for God that I long for Him, that I am drawn to Him, and that I seek Him with all of my strength. To be pure is to be chaste. Chaste in what I use my eyes to look at throughout the course of the day. Chaste in the books that I read, staying away from any filthy novels 
that would fill my heart and my mind with impure thoughts. Chase, the same word translated here as pure in James 3 verse 17 is translated in Titus 2 verse 5 as chaste. The young woman is, quote, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. That is the wisdom that comes from above. It's a pure wisdom from above. It must be pure because it has a holy source. This wisdom that fills the mother's heart with devotion unto God, that wisdom comes from God Himself. The mother recognizes that by nature, I don't have that type of yearning for God. I don't always have purity of thoughts unto God. There are times where my selflessness or selfishness and my self-centeredness gets in the way of me being this type of pure and godly mother. But she recognizes that she must plead of God then for this wisdom that comes from above. And so the mother frequently is found on her knees then praying unto God for the grace and the strength that she might have pure wisdom from above. And then the children come to see that mom has this type of pure wisdom. They see it because mom teaches it unto them. Mom takes the hands of that little child and folds those hands together. The child is so young that the child doesn't even understand what mom is doing. But that doesn't deter mom. With this pure wisdom that comes from above, she folds the hands of the child, and as the child stares blankly ahead, mom offers a prayer and teaches the child to pray. Pure wisdom. Wisdom that is devoted unto God. As it's applied to the life of the mother, that means the mother is concerned, first of all, about her God. Before her children, before her husband, she loves God. The decisions that she makes throughout the course of the day reflect the fact that she belongs in body and soul to Jesus Christ. The wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure. That's the starting point. But the writer doesn't stop there. He goes on to teach us about how this pure wisdom impacts the relationship that we all have, and now especially that mothers have. Being pure, having a pure wisdom from above, means that one will live in peace, and in peacemaking relationships. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, and then at the end, without partiality 
and without hypocrisy. We look first of all at these words that she is peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Peaceable. That means that the mother, as she labors in the home, does not start arguments, contentions, or quarrels. It means that the wise woman looks not for opportunities to have conflict, but the wise woman looks for opportunities for peace. She does not take peace for granted, as if peace and unity automatically happen in the church or in the home or in the school, but she labors for peace. She endeavors to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 3. She prays for the peace of Jerusalem. She uses her mouth in such a way that promotes peace and peacemaking relationships. After all, the use of the mouth is what James chapter 3 has been all about thus far. James 3 verse 2, For in many things we offend all. If a man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. And then he goes on speaking about how the tongue is a little member and yet how that tongue is capable of igniting so great a fire. That that tongue has the power to be used either for good or for evil. And the wise mother recognizes the power of the tongue. And that God has given unto her a place of great <clears throat> excuse me, authority in the home. And influence over those in the home. And so she's careful to use her tongue in a way that promotes peace and unity. When she talks with others, whether it be her children or whether it be her friends, she does not raise in conversation subjects that will ignite an unholy passion in the neighbor. She does not gossip. She does not spread inflammatory reports in an attempt to stir up the emotions and the passions of the neighbor. She is peaceable. Peaceable. And then, gentle and easy to be entreated. These two words are very similar to each other. In the original, it's just one word for each, gentle and then easy to be entreated. We can help distinguish between these two words by using arrows. An up arrow and a down arrow. A down arrow describes gentle. An up arrow Describes easy to be entreated. The wise woman is gentle, that is to say, with this down arrow, she lives in gentleness with those who are 
inferior to her. Easy to be entreated, the up arrow speaks of the mother's relationship with those who are superior to her, of those who are over her. But gentle speaks of the relationship that she has with those who are below her. Those who are below her, her children. Those who have been put within her home. Those who are inferior below her are those who are younger than her. The experienced mother. How does the experienced mother relate to and interact with the younger mothers? And this text calls the mother to be gentle with them. She does not insist upon her strict rights as she lives in a relationship with those who are under her. But she is willing to yield with wisdom to those who are under her rule. She does not provoke her children to wrath. She does not have this overwhelming list of rules which is daunting to the children and impossible for the children ever to satisfy so that the children are left feeling as if they're always inadequate to live up to the standards and expectations that mom has established for them. She does not have punishment that is too severe for the crime that was committed, but she exercises wisdom even as she disciplines the children. She is understanding that those children who are underneath of her are real human beings who have real feelings, who have real needs and real emotions. And so she is gentle to those who are under her. But then she is not only wise toward those under her, she's also wise toward those over her, the up arrow. She is easy to be entreated. And just as much wisdom is required in this relationship to those who are the superiors as the amount of wisdom that is required in one's interactions with those who are inferior to those who are underneath the authority of the woman. This is true that wisdom is needed, especially for the mother, because of the place that God has given her. The place that God has given the mother is she is an example to her children. Children will learn especially from their mother, how to relate to those who are in authority places. They will learn not just from what mother says, this is how you should respond to those who are in authority, but they will respond or they will learn especially from the example of mother. How does mom live? in relationships with those who are over her. If it is the case that mom lives afraid of those who are over her, 
And mom becomes nervous whenever an authority figure is present in her life. And mom becomes afraid, perhaps even of dad. It should never be the case. But if mom is afraid of dad, then the children will learn from mother that the relationship that they should have towards superior to authority figures is one of fear. Should be nervous about those in authority. But a far more common struggle that the mother and woman has is a lack of submissiveness to those in authority over them. It's why the Bible tells the woman to submit to Jesus Christ, who is, or to her husband, who is her head, even as Jesus is head over the church. And again, the children will learn from mom how to submit to authority figures. If mom is constantly testing the boundaries, if mom is constantly second-guessing the wisdom of dad, if mom is speaking in a disrespectful way of authority figures in the church or in the state, then the children will learn that it is acceptable behavior to be second-guessing anybody who is in an authority position. What is mom's relationship to those who are over her? text says of the wise woman that she is easy to be entreated. She is willing to yield her will to the will of those who rule over her. Wisdom. And then the end of the verse speaks more of how mom lives in peacemaking relationships without partiality and without hypocrisy. How important, again, that the mother have these types of spiritual virtues as she raises up her children, that she be without certain things, without partiality and hypocrisy. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, gave into the sin of hypocrisy. She put together a plan to deceive her husband Isaac, and she encouraged her son Jacob to participate in that plan. And what was the outcome for that act of hypocrisy that Rebecca concocted? Although she got initially what she wanted, namely the blessing upon Jacob, in the end, she lost. She lost her son. Because Jacob had to be sent away for the next 14 years to Uncle Laban. Her hypocrisy led to jealousy among the children without hypocrisy. Do you love your children and want your children to stay by you? Not be like Jacob, who had to run away. And women, 
mothers be wise without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means to pull a veil over one's face. And at certain times, mom behaves one way. And other times, mom behaves in a different way. And children are so good at picking up on when mom behaves differently. Mom behaves this way in public, but then at home it's like a totally different person. In public, she's kind, she's chatty, she's friendly. But then in home, she's quick to become angry, snaps at us. Children pick up on that. Without hypocrisy is how the wise woman lives. And without partiality, the idea here is being consistent in the way that one now raises up their children. That mom doesn't have one rules that apply to this child, but then a different set of rules that applies to that child. That mom doesn't enforce the rules on this day, But then the next day, mom is too tired to enforce the rules, and the children know that they can get away with whatever they want. Without partiality is consistency. All of this, beloved, is part of wisdom. All of these things that we have described here about being peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, Without partiality and without hypocrisy, this is wisdom. The Word of God tells us that this is wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle. And we mustn't let anybody else convince us otherwise. You see, there is a different message that the world would give. And the different message that the world would give is that you don't need to prioritize living in peacemaking relationships. That's not to be a priority for you upon this earth. If you live in peacemaking relationships, if you are peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, if you live with wisdom with those who are under you and yield to those who are superior to you, then the world would say of you, you're weak. You're a softy. You don't have moral convictions. You don't have principles that you stand by. You should stand up for yourself. You should fight for your rights. You should defend your honor. And if anybody stands in the way of you defending your rights or defending your honor or your integrity, push them to the wayside. That strength, the world would say, But what says the Word of God? What's wisdom? Wisdom is peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. The devil would have every individual on this earth believe that the greatest threat to him or her is the threat out there. 
It's the neighbor who's the threat to my life. It's the unwise elder who's a threat to my life. It's the pastor's lack of ability that's prohibiting my development or growth. It's because the government isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing that I have to be worried and concerned about the future. The devil would have every person on this earth believe that the biggest threat is out there. Wisdom understands otherwise. Wisdom understands that the biggest enemy is inside of me. It's in my own heart. It is my tendency to be bitter, to have strife. It is my tendency to be confused, according to verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. It is my tendency, even as a mother, to be more concerned about my care and my wants than the needs of my children. Recognizing that enemy within, the humble mother confesses, I have no wisdom of myself. I do not know how to raise up my children. I do not have the spiritual strength and stamina to be consistent day after day in how I discipline my children. I do not have the ability to live a life without hypocrisy. I struggle with being two-faced. I'm not always easy to be entreated. I don't always respond to troubles and trials with peace and calm. But I so easily become anxious and upset and worried. Father, I have nothing of myself. And yet the godly mother does have something in Jesus Christ. She has the blood of the Lamb that covers her many shortcomings in being a wise mother. She has wisdom that is given unto her from on high. She has strength and integrity, not naturally found within her, but given unto her through the operations of the Holy Spirit. She is transformed, not into the image of this world, but into the image of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Recognizing that the blood of Jesus Christ has made her to be beautiful, to be pure, to be adorned with grace, she bears fruit. The text says that she bears the fruit, first of all, of being full of mercy. 
This is the wise mother. She shows mercy to any who are in distress in her life. And how often is it not the case that the mother of the home faces distressed children? The children, the child falls and scrapes his knee. And whom does that child turn unto but mom? The tender, open arms of mother who gently soothes the pain of that child. The mother is full of mercy and able to relate to and understand the pains of the child because the mother herself has gone through great pain and great suffering. She went through the pain, not least of which was the pain of childbearing. For God said to Eve, in sorrow shalt thou bring forth thy children. And the mother, having gone through that pain, understands what it means to hurt. Uniquely qualified by God, then she is able to relate to, empathize, and offer compassionate help and support to those who are hurting. She is full of mercy and good fruits. Notice that the plural is used here. Not just a good fruit, but many good fruits. Too many to be numbered. Fruits of love and joy. Fruits of a pleasant home, well kept. Fruits of being resourceful. Proverbs 31 lists out the resourcefulness and industriousness of the woman. But chief of all these fruit is peace. Peace. The text is at pains to emphasize that in both 17 and verse 18. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, and then a number of other ways to describe peace. And then verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The illustration used here is of a farmer who is sowing seed into the ground, and as he sows that seed into the ground, that seed germinates, springs forth, and eventually that seed brings forth fruit. And the idea is this, that the woman is like unto a farmer in the home. The woman is sowing seeds of righteousness. Not that she herself regenerates her children. She cannot quicken the hearts of the little ones inside her home. Though she would give her life to be able to do it, she can't. But the woman sows forth the seeds of righteousness insofar as she teaches the little lambs to love Jesus Christ. As she brings her children before God's throne of grace and teaches them how to pray unto God and leads them to the point where then they are able to confess their faith in Jesus Christ and live in obedience unto Him. 
The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The woman goes from peace to peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. She herself is a peacemaker and she teaches her children to be peacemakers. And so from one generation to the next, God gives peacemakers in His church. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we do thank Thee for mothers. Mothers equipped by Thee. Mothers called by Thee. Mothers shaped by Thee. We pray, Lord, wilt Thou prosper the mothers of this church and all faithful mothers wherever they are found. Forgive the sins of this worship service and receive our worship for Jesus' sake. Amen.